welcome to the Temple of Blight episode AD. Uh, apologies if you can hear a fan in the background. It's fucking boiling in the UK right now. Uh, this is an episode with Dennis Clute. Uh, Dennis has had a very, very, very storied career throughout the music industry. Uh, from whoa, early 70s through to about the 90s when he started his golf career. Either way, it's the most notable part of his career in terms of the history of Roadrunner Records is he is Roadrunner's first employee which is a fucking massive claim to fame. So we go into the details of how he first met Case in the 70s all the way through to modern day. Dennis's current adventures and escapades have taken him to Indonesia. There's effectively two ventures which he's undertaking at the minute. One is art and photography. Uh, you can find his art at dgk-art-editions.com. Uh, but he's also the premier authority on Indonesian golf experiences. So if, if you're planning a, a golf holiday in Indonesia, uh, go to indogolf.com where Dennis can guide you through the best courses and the most challenging courses and everything weird and wonderful about Indonesian golf. So... Uh, I bet you'll enjoy this one because there's loads of fucking stories which really prop up the history of Roadrunner Records Chapter 1. So let's jump into it. One, two, fuck shit up. It must have been weird getting an email from the in your golf like business e- inbox saying, <laughs> I, you know that job you had 40 years ago? Are you the guy I'm looking for? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no worries, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so the, for me, I'm a, I'm a metalhead. I'm, I'm I'm really into um, to heavy metal, and a lot of the bands which I I followed, especially when I was a bit younger, were all Roadrunner bands. Um, they were all yeah. with you know all the CDs and all the the LPs had that little candy bar um, red in the bottom left corner. And it's just occurred uh-huh. to me now, maybe it's COVID, or maybe it's something else. I did plan on doing similar to your your plan to sell your art. I had a plan uh-huh. to try and get have a go and have a stab at researching the history of the label because I I haven't seen it anywhere. Usually, like, like yeah. Metal Blade has its own history. Um, uh, Noise Records has like a book. Neat Records has a book. There's loads that have books and series and documentaries, but Roadrunner is kind of left high and dry. So I thought, yeah, but, but that is that is that is basically that that boils down to what Case is all about. Case is is. Um, is not really a guy who who thinks about the books and and all that sort of stuff. He loves um, um, he loved setting up uh, Roadrunner, and uh, that was good. That was good for him. That was it. And um, and and when it comes to books and and the things that you do, uh, Case will probably never do. Yeah. Uh, but that that's why it's good that you do it because I I think. I think it's really important uh, to have somebody uh, working on it because uh, Roadrunner has been uh, very significant in the in the in the in the heavy metal in the metal music uh, scene, mm. and they're, they're not just a record company. Case and I, well, as you know, Case and I go back to to our Polygram days. And uh, I started to work for for Phonogram uh, Amsterdam, basically, uh, in 1973. And Case, in that year, started to work for Polygram head office in Barn in Holland. And um, both Case and I had to do had to deal with some dull personalities in in Phonogram. He on the international side in Barn. Uh, headquarters and uh, and me in Amsterdam on uh, what we call the the Amsterdam local phonogram 
or affiliate offers. Right. Um, a lot of there were a lot of boring people. Uh, <laughs> they were dealing with Decca and uh, you know nice, nice music, nice little bands and all that sort of, but not nothing exciting. So when Case came to work for for uh, Polygram for International, and uh, I came to work for Phonogram, uh, I got into the catalog, and there were some interesting bands in that catalog, and especially on the side of Mercury Records, for instance. Mm. And Mercury was a very interesting label. And bands like Rush and uh, BTO and a couple of other bands, you know. Yeah. Then on the, the UK side, there was Black Sabbath, Thin Lizzy, um, uh, the Status Quo, of course, Nazareth, you know, and all those bands. Mm. And and Case and Case invited me once for lunch. Uh, when he heard that I that I uh, there was a new guy in in Amsterdam, he gave me a call one day. He said, "Well, so you're the new guy in what we call the pop music division." Uh, another doll, another doll uh, 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 label for for pop music mm. in in and it, it was called the the pop music international division. Mm -hmm. uh, so he said. Why don't you come over to um, to Barn? We have lunch uh, together, and then I'll discuss with you some of the stuff that I am planning to sign, or uh, what my vision and my ideas are about A and R. He was in A and R, right? Yeah, sure. And 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 I was on the label side. Uh, I was a label manager uh, for, uh, amongst others, Mercury records and, and, uh, and the UK labels, uh, that, that or the UK bands that, uh, came in through, um, phonogram in, um, Stanhope place in it's, London. It's worth mentioning that I'll, there's a lot of different labels that fall under polygram. Polygram is a big group at this point, isn't it? Oh yeah. In, in the seventies, they were like, they, they were like humongous. They were huge, and uh, and and basically, Steno Place was uh, the creative department, and the studios were in Steno Place also. Mm. Uh, but International in Baron has never really communicated with Steno Place the way that Case did. When Case arrived, he started to communicate with with Phonogram UK. Stano Place, and um, and not only with Stano Place producers, the the house producers, but also with production companies and independent uh, producers and and bands that produce their own stuff, mm -hmm. and and Case basically bought bought the rights to that stuff and and eventually signed them in, signed them for for phonogram, mm -hmm. and a, a band like uh, for instance like Tin Lizzy. Yeah. Uh, but also sensational Alex Harvey band Nashville all came in through Case. Wow. Uh, and uh, and um, and Case always called me up. He said, "Man, I've <laughs> I've got a, I've, I've heard a band. They're crazy. They're bloody crazy. Um, they call they're called the sensational Alex Harvey band." <laughs> oh wow. 
Okay. <laughs> Why don't you go over to, to, to the UK or to, to London and have a look at the band? Because I think it's an interesting band. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, okay, all right. So I hopped on the plane two weeks later. And it was some sort of a presentation of the sensation like Alex Harvey band. And I loved the band. And I became very close with him and also with, with Alex Harvey himself. This is the 70s and, uh, when someone says hop on a plane, you can just hop on a plane. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Your case was like that, you know? I mean, case, um, case hops on a plane like we, we would go on a bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would, in, in the early days of Roadrunner, he was traveling between uh, Amsterdam and New York as if we were traveling between uh, our house and, and the grocery store, you know? <laughs> And, and he's always done that. And um, when I started to work for him, um, I was the first guy he asked to come and work for him because we had been very successful together in breaking bands like, uh, for instance, Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Sabbath was a, was huge. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, Tim Lizzie was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Croce. Yeah. And Jim Croce was, uh, I love Jim Croce. Yeah. And uh, the music was fabulous, was really good. Um, To be very honest, Case loves music, but he's not a fanatic music lover. Mm -hmm. What what Case knows is he's got a gut feeling about something. Yeah. Uh, And and when he, and, and, um, and he goes for it. Yeah. And you see? One thing that I keep hearing, maybe you can verify this, because you mentioned Black Sabbath. Now, yeah. um, another person in this story, um, Gloria Cavallera, um, she managed one of the big Roadrunner bands in the sort of late 80s uh, into the 90s. Um, she thinks that Case was Black Sabbath saying our guy. And I've also had word that they would occasionally Black Sabbath would occasionally come to to Amsterdam and it would involve Ozzy Osbourne Case and yeah. the American lawyer Jules Kurtz yes and yes they, he was very close with Jules yeah yeah and, and um, they would eventually just have crazy nights out in Amsterdam and that's oh, his sort man. of Black Sabbath connection <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Amsterdam was like uh, crazy in those days anyway yeah. I mean uh, uh, even guys like uh, you know uh, I don't know whether you whether you you know uh, Stin Lizzie because yeah. the band uh, 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 was was a phen- phenomenal band uh, and Phil Linnett uh, the bass player and mm-hmm. the singer was ba- basically the lead the lead uh, man in, in the band yeah. but <clears throat> Phil came to Amsterdam privately because he loved Amsterdam. Yeah. He also came for the drugs, of course, but <laughs> he, he eventually... <laughs> and then he stayed at, at my place. I had an apartment in Amsterdam yeah. and um, we were we were sitting up listening to music till five, six in the morning. <laughs> and, 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 and that was, that was normal. Uh, Black Sabbath, for instance, we would after a concert we would go for 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 a bite 
And then we would go to the Milky Way or to the Paradiso, and we would come out of that place like four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and and then the flight, and the next day the flight was at eight thirty in the morning. You know, yeah, yeah. going on back to to the UK or wherever. And and Osborne in those days was already crazy. Yeah. And um, and but he was a phenomenal guy. He was he was incredibly incredibly professional you know yeah totally. even even when he was very tired from you know only having slept maybe an hour an hour and a half he said ah come on man i'm gonna sleep on the plane don't worry <laughs> <laughs> or in the limo on the way back to the airport <laughs> so did you um so you walk in the door at 1973 case if my reading's correct he's just got back from new zealand where he was head of sales yeah. at the New Zealand branch. I think it was, I can't remember yes. if it was Phonogram or Polygram, that one. Um, it was, it was uh, Phonogram. Yeah, yeah. So he comes back and he's yeah. the inter- international, his head of international A&R, which ex- you just sort of, yeah. you filled that in there because he's going over to England a lot, which makes a lot of sense given what he did yeah. with Roadrunner. Um, do you eventually follow him to RCA? Because he works for RCA for a bit, doesn't he? Yes. He, right. I I knew I knew he was he was approached by a guy called Summer or Bob Summer or whatever he was the the, the big guy in RCA in 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 America and uh, Case called me up one day uh, he said um, you know what uh, I I'm flying over to New York to discuss with Summer about uh, about setting up uh, RCA Holland mm-hmm. or the Netherlands right um, if if that is going on if that is materializing are you interested uh, to come in to come with me and do and and do rca with me i said yeah i am for sure mm-hmm. um in in the meantime i was approached by warner brothers a guy called ben Bunders, who also worked for international in Barron. wow <laughs> but but case and ben were not really big friends you see so yeah. uh and 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 I was closer to Case, also music-wise, but also um, you know the way Case is a very cool and collected guy. He's not somebody that jumps off a table um, out of enthusiasm or whatever. He is a very um, even-keeled guy. Mm. You know, it's not like uh, he's not jumping up and down when he when he believes something is good, but. But if he believes something is good, he invests all the money he has in 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 whatever he believes. Yeah, this is um, uh, in my in my reading. There's um, a lot of those early Roadrunner deals are fairly brutal in terms of um, the say the early advances and the royalties and things like that. And it it's be- I'm trying to figure out a reason why, and I know the reason why. It's because like the early Roadrunner cash flow situation. It was like make or break. It's an ind- it's an indie operation. They can't just like dump forty grand yeah. in a band like they could if you were a major. Furthermore, yeah. once a band starts uh, proving its salt, as it did with Sepultura later down the line, that's when he smells blood and goes, "Okay, I can drop a lot more money on this because I know it's gonna I'm gonna get some return." And it, yeah, yeah, it speaks to his character. I have I have a nice story for you about this. Uh, how Case thinks. Um, at Roadrunner, uh, he had a label called Attic Records from Canada. Yeah. Uh, he had 
done the deal with um, I, I don't know the owner. What's it, the owner? I, you know, it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, the owner of Attic Crackers was a very good friend of his, and um, and Kay said um, he, this guy was complaining to Kay about ah, phonograph, fuck all, they don't do nothing on my label, such <laughs> 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 shit. <laughs> and then when Kay went independent with Roadrunner he said to I, what is this guy called shit man I don't you know uh, what if, if Metal Micro he'd be able to tell us because he told me a story about the guy from Attic Records who um, he gave him the Anvil record you know I can I can look it up in one of my agendas because I've got all my agendas from uh, what the past the, the 25 years that I've worked in the recording industry Whoa. I've got every agenda that's crazy uh, of that of that period, so I can have a look in it. I, I know for sure his name comes up Ale- in there because I. Mayer. No, what's his name again? I'll come. I'll come. I'll come up. To, I'll come up with it for sure. That's cool. Anyway, I've got two names in front of me. That's all. <laughs> yeah, Attic Records. So Kay said to me, um, "Hey, I've, I've signed. Uh, I've signed Attic Records, but you know, I'm, I'm gonna do him do him a favor." I, it's not that, not that, that not that uh, much good stuff on it. And then he said, uh, "There's one band though that I like." I said, "Wow! So, <laughs> what band is that?" He says, "That the band is called the Nylons." Right. Yeah. I said, "The Nylons." Okay. Okay. He says, "Here, take this record, bring it home, listen to it. It's a cappella." Yep. <laughs> But phenomenally good acapella. So, Case called me up the next day. He says, "Did you listen to the Nylons?" I said, "Yeah, I like it. I love it. It's 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 incredible. Um, well produced, uh, good songs, and eh? the lion sleeps tonight, and all, all sort of uh, pretty commercial." Yeah. He says, uh, "What do you think about that band?" I said, "Well, you know." Three of them are gay. Uh, Amsterdam has one of the biggest gay scenes in the world, yeah. and I have probably one of the the largest uh, group of friends that are gay. <laughs> so <laughs> I said to Case, looked at me and said, "Are you serious?" <laughs> said, yeah, I'm serious. So he says, "What would you do with the band?" I said, "What would I do with the band?" Uh, if you if you are willing to invest money, I would I would say fly him in. I'll arrange um, promotion, marketing, and promotion and TV because you got to see these guys on TV. Yeah. You see, and there was a phenomenal video made, and I said that video I can you know I can I can sell the band in, to uh, producers of certain night uh, TV programs, uh, family programs, and I bet you if I can get, there was a a lady called Sonia Barrett, and she had one of the best ever shows, talk shows in Holland. Mm -hmm. And I knew Sonia very, very well. I mean, I, I knew her for what, 10 or 12 years already. And so 
I called up uh, Sonia. I said, Sonia, can I come to your office uh, on Monday? Uh, because I, I think I have a band for, for your show. And it's, it was called the Sonia Barnes Show. It's a talk show with, with entertainment, fashion, and all that sort of uh, mm -hmm. stuff, right? Food and drinks and all that. And uh, so I, I was at the office. I, I was at her office at the, at the TV station, Farah, Farah TV station. And uh, I said, look at this video, watch this video. And she watched the video and she goes like, wow. That is phenomenal. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, I'm in the right place at the right time, okay? I said, are you interested in putting them on in your show? She says, well, if you fly them over, I'll put them up. I'll put them in, I'll put them in the show. Sweet. So I called up Case. I said, Case, how much money are you willing to spend uh, to bring over the, the, the nylons. He says, it depends on what you advise, advise me. If you believe that you can do it and then that it's worthwhile flying them in, I will fly them in. I don't care how much it costs. And uh, so uh, I drive back to the office. I called Case. I said, okay, Sonia says that she wants to put um, the nylons in her in one of her shows in a month's time. And uh, he says, okay, I'm going to call. Man, I need to I need to get the name of this attic guy. <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Mayer. That's him. Alex Mayer. Yeah. Yeah. There's two guys basically in those days. It was Alexander Mayer and, and, and a guy called, called uh, Williams, Tom Williams or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Those two guys. And, and they also had Anvil Records, right? Uh, yes. So, and, and uh, Lee Aaron and, and the Nylons and uh, some good stuff. But the Nylons for me were the, were the most. Uh, so, Kay said, okay. I'll call uh, I'll call Al up and, uh, and 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 ask him if he wants to invest money too. <laughs> he says to me, I said, "What do you mean? Yeah, let let the fucker pay for <laughs> for for the trip, you know? I mean, and then we'll pay for all the hotels and the transportation and food and whatever." I said, "Okay, deal." Uh, so he calls Al Mayer up, and he and Al says, "Yeah, fine, I'll do it." I do it. I do it. Don't worry. Uh, let me let me let me know when you want them, and I'll talk to the management, and 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 we'll get them. We'll get them over. Anyway, three weeks later, they come. They came over, and uh, I had them in Sonia's in Sonia's program. So then I said to Case, Case, uh, since they are here, we should really, um, you know, uh, take advantage of them having them here. I mean, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to organize a show um, in one of the the the, uh, the the most famous gay clubs in Amsterdam. Yeah. That gay club was owned by a good friend of mine, right? And um, so I talked to the to the guy. Uh, what was his name? Um, Axel was his name. Axel. Yeah, yeah Axel. So Axel, listen, look at watch this, watch this video. And Axel see the video. He says, "God damn it, damn, damn fucking beautiful." <laughs> and Axel is gay. <laughs> He's gay. 
<laughs> so he says, are they all gay? I said, the black guy is not gay. Uh, he says, I don't care about the black guy. <laughs> I like the curly guy. <laughs> I like the curly guy, Mark. <laughs> so uh, Axel says to me, bring them over. And if, when they're here in Amsterdam, I'll set up, I'll put up a show. And that club is right in the middle of uh, the gay red light district right in Amsterdam right mm. but incredibly popular so uh, we do in Sonia uh, we do rehearsals and uh, I said Sonia can you do me a favor can you announce that the nylons are going to be at the San Francisco club um, <laughs> in Amsterdam she says why 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 <laughs> Yeah, you know, push me, push, push the band a little bit, you know, because I, I'm doing the show, I pay it out of my own pocket. Yeah. She says, in that case, I help you. Don't worry. <laughs> so during the show, uh, during the Sonia show, she says, if if anyone wants to see the Nylons, they're going to do a trial show at the San Francisco Club in Amsterdam. And um, call my uh, send me a, or call my office for more information if you want to know. And if not, we'll let you know through Farah Radio because she also had a radio show. Cool. I tell you, man, that club uh, was normally they would probably hold about six, seven hundred people. Yeah. There were about twelve hundred people in the club. Wow. <laughs> and it was a phenomenal success. So Axel says to me, what are they doing tomorrow night? I said, well, I don't know. I, I will ask the guys, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> these guys were all interested in the gay scene anyway. So, sure. <laughs> except from except from Arnold, the black guy. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I said to the guys, Axel wants you to do to do another show tomorrow. Yeah, fine, no problem. Don't worry, don't worry. So, what do you guys want to? What 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 money do you want? Are you looking at for that for that show? Nothing. Don't worry. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. You know. <laughs> and I tell you, man, the next night it was even more pandemonium. Wow. It was. It was. It, we broke the band right there and then. Yeah. Yeah. And then I brought them back. I brought them back, or Case and I brought them back from Canada. Uh, and I talked to Mojo Records, a Mojo uh, agency, um, mm. who were concert organizers and promoters. And um, um, Barry and um, uh, uh, shit, man, my 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 memory sometimes fails me. It's okay. Barry Fisher, who is the owner of uh, of um, uh, Mojo, saw the video. He says, and I, and he heard about uh, the Nylons uh, through uh, through through the grapevine, and and that because they were in the in the Sonia show. He says, I'll put them up in in Karay. Don't worry. Carré is one of the biggest theaters in 1500-seater in Amsterdam. We did that show and it sold out three nights in a row. Wow. And we sold more than 100,000 albums. Uh, 
on Attic Records. Wow. And Al Mayer, Al Mayer, he could not believe, he could not believe that that, that case had pulled it up. I guess case, he had that good, case, good, good feeling that you were huh? saying. I guess he had that good feeling about them like you were saying. He had, he had, you know, and, 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 and funny enough, eh, when you said to me, I'm, I'm going to sign uh, Attic Records, and although they don't have that many good bands, uh, there's one band that I like. And then you said to me, that's the Nylons, you know, listen to him, here's the record, go home and play it. <laughs> A lot of the times, um, so, record executives, they end up getting like exec producer credits and things like that. Case has no such credit on any records that he's been involved with except Case wasn't interested in that the, the only exception is a nylon record um, which went out on Dino Music it was a, it was a greatest hit and oh it, yeah yeah it was um, it was compiled by Case Vessels and another person I can't remember the guy's name but that's his only kind of like his only production mm-hmm. credit which yeah. I found interesting <laughs> you know you know what why Case and I have been friends for what 47 48 years Case is a Case is a down to earth guy mm. um, he's not a typical record com- a record company executive yeah um, no bullshit no uh, jumping up and down you know he says either yes or he says either no that's it yeah. and, and uh, you know I've spent holidays with Case and his wife and his two sons and my, in those days, my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And we went to the Dordogne. He's, he's crazy about France and, and the Dordogne. So we went to the Dordogne because we, we both loved wine and cheese. And, and, and you know, <laughs> Dordogne is one of the most beautiful places in France. And, um, and uh, so I got to know Case very well very close but I also knew Case as a very down to earth very basic guy you know he's not like um, he's not like uh, jumping up and down about anything uh, but if he believes in something he just goes okay put the money in another band that that he brought in was Genesis really? yeah Charisma Records Charisma Records is that another Polygram subsidiary? No, Charisma was an independent label. Okay. A guy called Tony Stratton Smith, right? Mm-hmm. He started a label, a gay guy. He was he was he was a, an incredibly nice guy. He was, and he had enormous amount of money. He was in 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 horse racing. Right. Uh, uh, and he had in and he had thoroughbreds, mm-hmm. and I still remember every year, uh, Charisma Records, Tony Stratton Smith uh, uh, invited all the label managers from all from all over the world to go to Ascot, uh, the racetrack, right where his horses were running, right. were were racing, and uh, and. This guy put up a lavish dinner, and uh, and you know, in buses we were transported from from the hotel from the hotel in central London to Ascot and back, and uh, you know the whole thing. It, and Case was basically involved in the, the signing of, of of Charisma Records, right? Yeah. Uh, and and then 
and and I re- I still remember that case called me up one day and he says I I signed about uh, uh, Charisma Records and there's one band called Genesis. Have a listen to it, and that was still with Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Later, Peter Gabriel left. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, those were the things that Case had done at at Phonogram, Polygram. Yeah. At head office. Uh, so do bands you... like uh, ZZ Top, for instance, right. another band. Uh, yeah. ZZ Top was a band uh, that Case uh, basically said to me, "You you listen to that band. Have a listen." And 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 we we the uh, I flew over to Texas to see them live, right? Wow. And and I was crazy about the band, you know, mm-hmm. Lagrange and all that. Uh, the whole and they were a heavy, heavy, heavy guitar band. Yeah. And and they were like, it's before the the drum, the program drums in the eighties. Yeah. Oh man, amazing! And and you know the long beards and everything. And when I saw them live on stage, and they were like like thirty thousand people in the stadium somewhere in in Texas. I you know I don't even know where it was anymore. Um. <laughs> And then I, I I called Case from from uh, from uh, America where I was. I said I think the band is it's phenomenal, mm. and especially they look good, you know, yeah, they, yeah. They, with the long beards, and they were phenomenal guitar players. Eh? Yeah, uh, it was like a, a a blues train basically. Yeah, it went on and on and on and on, and the whole show was like an hour and a half to two hours. And I, you know, I was flabbergasted about the band. Yeah. So, and another band uh, case also was uh, was um, responsible for was a, a band called Rush. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, all. Um, and and don't forget Jim Croce, for which he all the rights at one point in time. Okay, is that why? Roadrunner's first, one of the first licensing deals is a, always with Jim yeah. Croce Records. The first ones out the door of Roadrunner are all Jim Croce ones. Those are because yep. he owned the rights to them. Yeah, and, and, and later I started to work after uh, I left Roadrunner. I started, I had my own production company and did Billy Preston's management, for instance. And, uh, uh, and then uh, I started to work after I broke up with Billy Preston, after four years of being on the road with him, mm. uh, I started to work for my brother, who was who was the big guy for KTEL. Uh, KTEL is a t- t- television advertised uh, okay. albums yep. uh, in in all of here. And Peter, my my youngest brother, was KTEL Benelux, right? Mm. And then uh, uh, Peter, my brother, asked me. Uh, why don't you do compilations for me? Um, and then I said to him, there's one compilation that I would really would like to do, Jim Croce. Mm-hmm. And, and then Peter said, my brother said, but who has the rights? I said, Case has the rights, Case, Case Wessel. <laughs> so I, deal, I dealt with Case. And we, and we did a TV album for, for Jim Croce. <laughs> 
And it all goes down back. That down was like years after, years after I worked for, for Case, for Roadrunner. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That's so uh, crazy. How did he end up getting the rights to Jim Croce? Uh, Case, Case no, knew every Tom, Dick and Harry in America as far as that is concerned. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Case was a guy who really, um, who really knew every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Product, in the on the production side, on the management side, on the business side, on the accountancy side, whatever, he knew them all. <clears throat> because Case is not really an extrovert guy. Eh? No. But as soon as he recognize a person that is interesting enough to spend time on or with he's there yeah yeah <clears throat> and he's very loyal mm -hmm. very loyal yeah and a guy like al mayer for instance from attic records he only took Re attic records basically because he said ah, al Al is complaining about phonogram, you know, and all that sort of shit. And I, <laughs> and I like Al so much. So I said, you know what? Come here with that label. I'll do it for you. <laughs> Let's. And then, and then we had the nylon. So I could, that was I could big. sit and I could listen to all these, these, the particular like band specific stories all day. <laughs> it's kind of it's almost. You know, I've got a, I've got a golden album here. You know. Um, uh, for uh, for the nylons, I have it here in my office. Oh wow! In my workroom, golden album, and case case gave it to me because we sold. Uh, that was then. That was let me see, 1987. One one size fits all. It says, yeah. Mm. Presented to Dennis Clute uh, uh, to recognize sales in the Netherlands of more than 50,000 copies of the Roadrunner album one size fits all and it was on attic label i i have it here in my in my workroom in my in my study wow <laughs> <laughs> there's a load of pictures from the trades from back in the day um yeah. that's how I've, I've managed to track case through like phonogram to Mercury for a while, to RCA, then to, to Roadrunner. So there's a load of interesting yeah. pictures which I didn't use, which I'll send over to you. Here's a nice story about RCA, okay? Go for it. Case uh, comes back from from uh, RCA, uh, Bob Sommer is the guy called. Mm -hmm. The, the, the guy is uh, called Bob Sommer. He's the guy, the big shot at RCA in, in, in America. And... Um, so Case lands in Amsterdam and he's home and he calls me at night at my place. He says, um, are you ready? I said, what do you mean, are you ready? Where do you want to go? <laughs> he can call me up in the middle of the night, let's go for a drink or whatever in Amsterdam, right? And then he says, uh, no, are you ready for um, uh, to join me in, um, in RCA? I said, what, <laughs> are you doing the deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, I'm going to do the deal. I said, so where are you going to have your office? He says, I'm going to have my office in Amsterdam. I said, why Amsterdam? I mean, Hilversum is, is bloody everybody there. Radio stations, a whole fucking lot, you know? Hmm. He says, I don't care about Hilversum. Fuck them all. <laughs> <laughs> I 
said, what do you mean? He said, no, I want to be, st- I want to stay away from all those assholes. <laughs> and, uh, okay, all right, so when are you going to have your office then? Oh, yeah, not too far away. There's a brilliant, uh, beautiful uh, villa that uh, I can rent. So, um, he says, uh, I was at his house in, 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 um, in, um, uh, on the uh, in Amsterdam, right, uh, where he had his office. Uh, it was in the Willems Parkway, yeah. and um, he says, "Come, we walk over." So we walk over, and it's about twenty-minute walk. And um, he says, "This is the building." I said, "Case, this is a warehouse, not anymore." <laughs> he says. <laughs> <laughs> It was a whorehouse, because I know why, you know why. I used to bring uh, artists to that place, <laughs> you know, for these guys to have a fucking... <laughs> and it was run, it was run by a Japanese guy, you know, he, he, he uh, started a, a massage place and all that, it was just a whorehouse. <laughs> anyway, we move in that we move in that building in like three, four months later, and there's still some Japanese guys coming to the door and asking <laughs> if they could go upstairs. And, and uh, I, uh, one of the secretaries, no, one of the reception girls downstairs says, what the hell are they all <laughs> asking if they can go upstairs? I said, don't you know this is this used to be a whorehouse. <laughs> you know what? I've got a um, I've got a picture of Case and a guy called Arthur Martinez, who was the um, vice president of RCA International, and they're shaking hands in front of the building where the RCA yeah. office ended up being. So now that puts it in a completely different light. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you, yeah, I was I was looking at the at the picture the other day. You know, I mean, I still have the picture that we're all in front of the, of RCA building for the opening mm. and then uh and then i i i, I put that uh, i i used to do press uh, press uh, promotion uh, also for rca in those days so <laughs> and, uh, one of the guys from from music express said hey dennis that's that's a fucking bloody whorehouse <laughs> <laughs> that's our obvious now are you serious <laughs> yeah i'm serious <laughs> And that's what case is all about, you know. He, he said, "I love the building. There's many spaces. There's a lot of space. There's four floors, you know, and it's close to my house." <laughs> <laughs> Good God! Uh, he's a brilliant guy. <laughs> anyway, right. Let's. Like, I'm going to move in. Let's move in. We're 45 minutes in, and we haven't even got to 1981 yet. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, can you remember? The ifs and hows and whys Roadrunner came about. Yes, Case was fed up with uh, with um, with a, with corporate bullshit. Mm-hmm. The reason why he left RCA was also because Bob Sommer thought that he could run RCA Holland from behind his desk in the United States. Yeah, they all. And, uh, yeah, that's right. RCA Holland, Luxembourg, and Belgium merged into one office, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and they're all uh, yeah, and they were distributed by a company called Inelco in yes. those days. Yeah, and um, 
And then, uh, you know, I left after like 13 months or so, and three months later, Case left. Mm -hmm. I was doing A&R for, for that company. Uh, for RCA, right? Okay, uh, but local, local, uh, l local acts, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, uh, so Case also left uh, three months after I left. So then one day he called me up. I was in the meantime. I was uh, I had set up my own label uh, called Crisis Records or Crisis Productions. Okay, right. In, in Holland, and uh, I had I had uh, a couple of bands that were very successful, like for instance the Cylinders and the, the Freelance Band, a couple of really good bands, yeah. and they were signed by RCA, not by by CNR Records. Right. Okay. Uh, CNR signed signed um, my label, and then the owner uh, Willem van Koten, uh, Joost the Dryer, the DJ, right. He said, <coughs> "We don't have an A and R guy at um, at uh, C and R. Mm -hmm. Go talk to to Case Bass, um, who's running the the show. Tell him that I uh, that I that I said um, Case uh, take Dennis as a, as an A and R guy. So I said, okay. He, uh, I buy over I buy over uh, Crisis uh, Productions." So you don't have to deal with that anymore. I'll give you a, a lump of money here, put it in your bank or whatever, do bring it to the horse if you want, I don't care. So I started to work for CNR Records. Right. And there I was responsible for local and national A&R and we did Stars on 45 there. Mm -hmm. And starting in '45, we sold worldwide over a hundred million albums wow. in total, yeah. uh, over five projects. Right? It started with ABBA, and, and no, first the Beatles, then ABBA, then Stevie Wonder, Rolling Stones, and uh, the Andrews Sisters. Five, mm. five in total projects. So uh, that was CNR, and um, and then uh, Case in the meantime started. Roadrunner Records, mm -hmm. and he wanted to have a distribution deal for Roadrunner Records mm -hmm. for for the Benelux. Yeah, and then Case and I, we, we were regularly going for uh, coffee or a drink or just get together the two of us, mm -hmm. and. Um, and then he said to me, uh, "Can CNR do uh, do distribution for Roadrunner?" I said, "I, I think so." Uh, can you can you arrange that? I said, well, "Okay, I'll talk to uh, to Willem van Koten, the owner, and to Case Baas, the the managing director." Yeah. And uh, and Case and Willem said, "Ah, I don't like that metal shit." You know, <laughs> Willem is a very commercial guy. And Case Case. Um, Baz also said, ah, come on, forget about it, you know. I said, come on, man, this is, Roadrunner is going to be a good, good, um, uh, a good um, uh, account to have, you know. Yeah. I mean, there, uh, in those days, there was, uh, there was uh, Klaus Schulze, for instance. Klaus Schulze sold a lot of records in, in Germany and in France. Yeah. yeah. Independent, huh? Mm. What, what year is this? And this, also, must be, this must be 81, 82. Yeah, eighty-one, eighty-two. Right. Yeah, 
and and also uh, um, liaison dangereux was also on uh, um, cases label um, case signed signed that band liaison dangereux was not really my my favorite Uh, they were selling records, mm, yeah. And um, so then, since I was doing A and R at um, at um, at C and R, Kay said, "Well, if you think it's okay, if you if you think that uh, Broadburn is interesting enough for us to do distribution, then go ahead and do it." So I called up Case. I said, "Case, we can do uh, we can do distribution for you." And then he said, "Why don't you come and work for me?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Yeah, I see an artist. Come on, come on, man! It's not your music. <laughs> <laughs> you love, you love Black Sabbath and Rush and, and Genesis and then Tin Lizzy. See an artist and and the local shit is not for you." Are you serious? He says, "I said, are you serious?" Yeah, he says, I'm serious. Don't you know that when I'm serious? <laughs> I said, well, in that case. Kay said, you know what? Let's have uh, let's have uh, dinner uh, one day. Uh, then we can discuss things in uh, in Amsterdam. I said, okay, uh, let's have dinner. So uh, dinner. He says, oh, I need somebody that uh, that uh, you know. I, I need somebody like you that can that can. Run around in Elbersum and do radio promotion, press promotion, and all that sort of shit. Now, what what you don't know yet, and I haven't told you yet, is <coughs> I was involved in the very early days of music and or there was a tabloid. Right. Okay. Yeah, tabloid mm-hmm. like Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, um, in, in in the UK, you had an, uh, also a tabloid that was m- music maker. Yeah, yeah. In those days, now Music Grand Or was set up in 1970, uh, 71, and I joined them in 71 because I used to work for EMI in those days. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a trained graphic designer, right. so I was doing designing sleeves record sleeves for oh, EMI yeah and I did advertising I, I made small advertisement that we would put in magazines and all that sort of um, uh, publications right mm-hmm. and amongst others I made advertisements for EMI records uh, that we had put in the first two or three issues of Musicrant or uh, cool. That was music paper or ear, right? Mm. So Baron Tut, the owner of the, the guy who set up or said, um, "Jesus, I you know I I need somebody that 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 puts my tabloid uh, together on a monthly basis. Uh, are you interested to to come and and talk to me about that?" Mm. And I wasn't happy at EMI. It was. You know, they were all they were all dull and dusted people. The corporate people. Yeah, the corporate shit. You know, I mean, and they were they were uh, they came to the office with 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 jackets and ties and all this. 
And I was wearing jeans and red boots, boots and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> in those days, I would fly over to London uh, just to go to a concert, you know, and the next day I would fly back. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And also, during my, my days with phonogram, of course, uh, you know, I was more in London than I was in Amsterdam, yeah. basically. Yeah. Basically, Kay said, you got to be on the road. Don't sit behind that, that dull desk there in Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then, or, I have always been very close with or, music and or, but also with all the editors, the writers, the, the guys that, that wrote the articles and did the uh, reviews of albums and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, I had a very good friend there, a guy called Case Bars. B-A-A-R-S. He was a heavy metal guy. Right, okay. A rock guy. He still owns a rock station, I think, in Amsterdam that only plays metal music and, and, and heavy stuff. Uh, and the guy is also 65 now or whatever, right? Mm. But he runs that station still. Now, Case helped me out with um, writing articles about Roadrunner stuff. Right, okay. Uh, yeah. And also, I did promotion with a guy called Alfred Lagarde. Uh, he was a radio, a radio DJ, um, and he was he was completely in heavy metal and in, and in rock. Mm-hmm. And with Case, I did, and with Case Bars and with Alfred Lagarde, I promoted amongst others uh, like Rush and uh, Backman Turner Overdrive, uh, ZZ Top, all those heavy guitar uh, bands, you know? So, so Kay said, I need somebody like you that can do that promotion because I don't know fuck all about all that stuff (laughs) in, in, in all of them. I said, okay. So I started to work for him. Awesome. And uh, I was the first guy, basically, that he hired. You, you mentioned uh, that you were a uh, trained graphic designer. Did you design yeah. the Roadrunner logo, the the red? No, I didn't. I didn't. There was another guy. There was a good friend of 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 Case, by the way, and he did all the sleeves also for 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 Case. Oh, I don't know what this guy. Had. I, I, you know, I have to no refresh my mind on it. I'm gonna find it for you because I think I think I know who you're talking about. Because um, I think I tried to reach out to him. And it's the guy who did all of the early sleeves of the early albums of the band yeah. that he signed. Yeah. Bear with yeah. Thomas Holm. Uh, I, I, I don't recall the name that much. But I, I can always ask Case, well, what was the guy called again? Because he, is, he used to live uh, two blocks away from Case in Amsterdam. Yeah. He's a very nice guy, and he was, he was a music lover, you know, and he, and he did the logo and he did, uh, he did the sleeves for Case. Yeah, it, it, it looks like he's done a, a good chunk of the first few albums which we're going to put out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And case, case, you know, uh, uh, very much relied on on people 
he knew yeah. and also that he liked because case doesn't doesn't like that many people <laughs> you know he's very particular huh? yeah. Case. yeah he's always dressed always dressed in black or in gray or in dark blue <laughs> and that is that is his mood also <laughs> so where does um Jan van der Linden come into this Jan van der Linden was the guy who basically uh, uh, saw the the trend of uh, independent labels in in heavy metal and in rock mm-hmm. because he was a distributor this he had a distributing distributing company right for independence Bertus uh, yeah Bertus Bertus you had another guy called uh, <coughs> was um, uh, later he became a, um, a big chain uh, uh, shit man I'm getting old <laughs> but I can I can you know I can I can all write it down for you and send you an email with all that that information because Bertus Jan van der Linden was was a was a typical uh, accountant right yeah. he was he was basically a figure guy yeah he, he knew figures yeah uh, and case was a gut guy he everything that he felt good about in his gut he said let's go for it so if i'm not mistaken uh jan was the guy that said to case you should cooperate more in that independent uh, stuff and uh and i think case case basically listened to him yes and, uh, um yeah. The, the story I've read up, I can't even remember where I've got all this information from. I've been doing this so long, trying to piece all this information together. So, Jan van der Linden, you're correct, it's, it, he runs Bertus. There's a guy at Bertus called Dirk van Hoofel, or Huffel. Yeah, um, yeah Dirk van Hoofel. Yeah, and he's like the metalhead, and he's the one telling Jan van der Linden, hey, um, this album's selling really well, this album's selling really well, and they don't have representation in the Benelux area. And therefore, Jan van der Linden yeah. gives Case the nudge, as you say, saying you need to look at these independents. Yeah, because you know, Burgess was distributing a lot of independent labels, huh? Mm-hmm. And 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 one of one of Burgess's big clients was a, 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 a shop, a big shop in Amsterdam called Boudisk Records. Yeah, Boudisk was like. A, you know, there was the Valhalla for uh, for people that were looking for different type of music, and then and that, that shop was phenomenal. They would come, they would come with stuff on the market that that we would not even hear about on the radio. Yeah. And uh, I I was dealing, I I was uh, for CNR. I looked after a, a label called Becker's Banquet. A British, a UK label, yeah. and I sold the majority of my stuff uh, to through Buddhist and through Bertus mm. because it was all independent stuff. Um, Case would eventually Bertus uh, Banquet Records. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Buddhist had a spin. It created a label, didn't it? Buddhist um, created me- Mega Disc Records, which Case would eventually yeah. acquire. Yeah. Which is why I was mentioning yeah. Wally Van Middendorp because um, 
he would eventually work at Roadrunner in his capacity as label manager for Megadisc, but obviously having been bought out by Roadrunner. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and, you know, Case and, and Young were not really friends, but they were, they were, um, they complimented each other. Case was the, Case was the, the guy with the guts and, uh, and Young was the guy with the figures, you know? He, he was, let me calculate this. If that's a, you know, calculator, yeah, okay. That's okay, do it. So Case could be the face of the operations and then Jan could be the guy in the back room trying to figure out if it was yeah. actually feasible. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I don't know what what um, Jan is doing at the moment, but, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard that much about him anymore uh, but you know the other shop was free record shop right that's the one and free record shop and Bertis were two um, op- opposite uh, parties mm-hmm. basically uh, but um, the guy that uh, that started free record shop at one point in time had something like 200 shops all over Holland mm. Crazy. He was. He became a, a bloody multi-million, multi-millionaire with that stuff, yeah. and eventually he went crop too. <laughs> so I can tell you a little bit about Jan. So Jan was with um, Roadrunner until about 1987, um, yeah. at which point Case bought out his shares. Um, he yeah. then went on to fat. He, I think he he spent some years at home after that, and then he founded uh-huh. a new label called Provogue Records. Um, mm-hmm. Which was then bought out by uh, Mascot by Ed Van Zyl. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, um, Ed Van Zyl. Yeah, and uh, I think Jan, all this time Jan's still with Bertus, um, but I think now he is he is comfortably retired. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Case could retire if he wants to, but uh, but Case is not a guy that cannot uh, can retire and do nothing. That's that's not his cup of tea. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. By the way, one of the one of the one of the uh, good bands that um, that also brought to to the fore the, a band called Metallica. Yep. And when I was working with Case, um, I have in my in my study I have two desks uh, opposite of each other. I'm sitting on this side, and Case was sitting on the other side. <laughs> and Case is not a talker. Case is is um, Case also doesn't communicate that often. <laughs> he uh, and I, I and I know him, uh, so for me it's never it's never been a problem. Sure. But I know of 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 phonogram colleagues that say ah, Case <laughs> never talks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that that, that is that's typical Case, and, and Case is always uh, you know down to earth low you know and he's got an incredible uh, uh, sense of humor by the way yeah yeah I can tell uh, from I, the whole house thing I, what's it <laughs> yeah that was like phenomenal <laughs> you know I, I I did stand up comedian uh, stuff in, in Holland mm-hmm. and Case Case was also always on the first row first or second row always <laughs> he loved that stuff 
I've, I've taken up your time for an hour and ten now, so I'm going to fire through some final questions, if that's okay. Yeah, okay. Um, did you think it was funny working for Case in his front room, in his living room, in his house? I, I, I never liked it. Why didn't he have an office? Did you, just, did you just think, you know, let's keep it cheap? <laughs> there was, I tell you, I tell you what the, you know, there was a, this, this is a huge house where he, that he had in Amsterdam. One of those, no, it's not, a, it's a canal house, but not on the canals. No, you it's, see, um, it's near the park. Yeah, Willems Parkwood. I think that's how I'm pronouncing it. Willems Parkwood, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like three stories, huh? Huge. And the, and the living room, from the front to the back was at least 15, 20 meters. <laughs> wow. At least. And, and in, that, in that, that room was completely empty. The only thing that was there was a huge table. Yeah. Plus uh, three huge sofas. Right. That was, his, that was his office in the beginning, from the beginning. <laughs> the case sat there. And eventually, we were only with three people. Huh? Uh, we started with three people. Uh, uh, um, a secretary named Wendy. Mm -hmm. uh, later, a guy came uh, to work for Case as an accountant, a guy called Han de Waal. Han de Waal. Han de Waal also worked for RCA, by the way. The, this guy, Han de Waal, was the bookkeeper, the accountant of Inelco Records. Where's yeah. Wendy these days? I have no idea. I have no idea. Wendy was a fabulous, fabulous girl because, you know, she could, she was the only one that could really work with Case. Uh, it's like um, a match made in heaven. Right. Yeah, and she she could just let him battle on and do whatever you know, and, and complain and, and or be silent for a day, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and she could never. She 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 was phenomenal. So yeah, I don't know where she is actually. The first the first uh, year, I I only worked for a roadrunner for about a year, a year, uh, thirteen, fourteen months. Oh, okay. And anyway, I um, I um, I left a case at one point in time because I, you know, uh, I I love heavy metal music. I love rock music, yeah. but for me, it, there was a complete different uh, um, a different acceptation of the Roadrunner bands that came in, like Sepultura. I had Sepultura in Indonesia even <laughs> because I looked after. I looked after distribution for Case here in Indonesia at one point in time. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, because Case said to me, listen, these, <laughs> these motherfuckers in Jakarta, they have no fucking idea about, about uh, what Roadrunner is all about. Can you help me out? I said, yeah, of course I can. <laughs> and, and, and because I had, we had the same distribution company here in Jakarta. Right. Me for my own label, and uh, and case for Roadrunner. What was your label? Called? And case basic. Oh, that crisis huh? was that crisis. Sorry. No, 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 no. I was. I. I had. Um, uh, my company was fair to fair to enter entertainment. And case at one point in time called me up. He says, "I'm coming over to Jakarta, and I'm going to see you, and then I want to sit down with you and see if, if we can find another distribution company." I said, "Why?" 
Ah, these motherfuckers, they don't know. <laughs> I said, Case, come on. <laughs> you know, this is Indonesia, and you got to be patient. Ah, patience. You know, patience doesn't make money. <laughs> 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 so, and then eventually, he said to me, why don't you look after the label? Uh, because, you know, I trust you. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what, Case, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll keep an eye. Uh, on it for, um, because it's the same company anyway and mm. I was there like uh, once a week yeah right okay. what year is this then this must be a bit later uh, that that was in 1993 so when he was just exploding and case was just getting his first gold record yeah yes 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 he wanted to he wanted to uh, you know Indonesia is an incredibly um, incredibly good country for metal and rock. Yeah, I can imagine. You know, concerts. Uh, when the concerts were still on, you know, they would they would get like thirty, forty thousand people in the stadium for yeah. for simple Dura, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Now it makes sense to me. <laughs> so you went. So yeah. you worked, so you've worked for them twice, and you've worked in effectively PR in the early days, 81, 82, and then you worked again for another year or so in ninety in the early 90s. Yeah, I, I wasn't working for him. I, I only looked at and, and Case always said to me, um, send me your bank account. I'm going to send you some money. I said, come on, Case, I'll do it for you, man. It's, <laughs> you don't have to pay me, you know. <laughs> no, 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 you cannot work for nothing. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Fair enough. Who was your uh, your favorite band to work with when you were working in PR for Roadrunner? I um, I always liked Metallica. Yeah. Yeah, and Metallica was very short period with with Fonovia, and I was only there for a couple of months, and then I left. You see, mm-hmm. but my most uh, fun experience uh, with bands uh, was basically the nylons because we we broke the nylons big in, into the Benelux. Yeah, and it was it was not heavy metal, mm-hmm. you know, it was not rock, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing to do with with uh, with Roadrunner stuff. What year was that story with um, with the the San Francisco club? Oh, that must have been. Um, it's 80, uh, 82 or 83 or so. One size fits so, all, you said. Uh, one size fits all, 1982. Um, yeah. Yeah, Netherlands, yeah, Roadrunner Records. And yeah, yeah. It, it's, you also... uh, eight, I got to, uh, uh, we, we really broke them big in 1985, 86, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But I started with them, started working on them. Um, yeah, from 1983 or so. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just flying through because all the other albums, and yeah, there's always a roadrunner, um, a roadrunner, uh, either license or there's a release for the Benelux area, which is roadrunner. Yeah, and 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 funny enough, the the record came out, the Nylons records for which I have the golden album here mm. was came out on Attic Records. But on the plaque it says Roadrunner album. Yeah, yeah. And and also the the Roadrunner logo was somewhere hidden on the on the uh, on the packaging, not on the label. 
Yeah, it's sometimes they're like that when, especially when they've licensed out from a from a different um, territory. Sometimes Roadrunner wouldn't be on it at all. But yeah, case is a case is a king in licensing, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's really interesting me is the logo. Um, you know that 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 font, that uh, particular type style. Yeah. On the records, yeah. on all the Roadrunner records, it says it just says Roadrunner. It doesn't say Roadrunner Records until about. Maybe mid eighties, late eighties. Do you know why it's called Roadrunner Records? I have a, a few theories, but I'm gonna defer to you on huh? this one, Dennis. Go for it. Case is uh, Case used to be a, a runner of marathons. Ah, yeah. yeah. He loved marathons, half marathons, full marathons, and he said he always said to me, "Actually, I'm a roadrunner." <laughs> he went to New York for the marathon. He went to London for the marathon. Yeah, That's he awesome. went to Paris for the marathon. He was running. I mean, hey, it's you know, don't think too light about it. It's forty-two kilometers eh, for mm. a full marathon. Yeah, well, it explains why he's he's in such good health these days. Yeah, yeah. You well, he's eighty now, eh? But Case Case was roadrunner, and when Case stopped being roadrunner, roadrunner stopped being roadrunner. That's it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Cause I wonder what I wonder what would have happened if Roadrunner was still going now as an independent. Yeah, I'm I'm not so sure if it would. If it if Case would still be involved, but because at one point in time, Case Case has a lot of other uh, interests, eh? like books, for instance. Yeah. Uh, he has. Have you seen his book publishing company in Amsterdam? I've not seen it. I'm aware of it, but I've not uh, looked into it properly. When you come to that to to that office, it's like uh, it's like uh, it's like a playground. <laughs> Yeah, everybody has their own cubicle or, you know, their own uh, space and you can put up posters, whatever you want. You can do this, you can do that. You know, the, the most funny interior <laughs> that you can see, you can see there. And and Case is a guy like that. He can, yeah. His door is open. He, his door is never closed from his office. Never. That, you know, that's what he is. Huh? He's... he's He's um, he's an open guy. He, you know, you have a problem, come in, talk. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're writing a um, unless you're writing a history of road and a record. In that case, don't bother him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't. You know, you should interview him. It's interesting because the one thing I've really enjoyed about this project is piecing things together through the individual <laughs> dots. Just really piecing it slowly but surely together. And uh, I've been proactively avoiding speaking to some people who've worked at Roadrunner for like 25, 30 years because I don't want them to tell me the story. I want to find it out myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, though, um, there's, there's, I've probably got so much stuff wrong. And Case would be the guy to go, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. This is how it is, blah, 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 blah. So it's yeah, 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 yeah. Case, Case will probably tell you that the, the story that Case is 
that only case can tell. This is but it. it's it's always nice to talk to different people because you can di- you you get different opinions and different angles. Eh? Totally. When when you look at a guy like Case, I I always compare Case to a guy like Barry Gordy, the guy who's who founded uh, Motown Records. Right. Okay. These guys are are. They have an ID, they go for it, and nobody can disturb them. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And this this is what they think, and this is where they go. Yeah. And then what I always liked from working with Case during the phonogram period, the phonogram years, was that um, Case would always back me. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I wanted to spend money on on uh, for instance a band like uh, genesis yeah i started with genesis in the the, the small clubs yeah uh, and the, 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 they didn't bring the big show like they have had in 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 in, in the uk yeah. and we we were we were doing the 500 seaters three to 500 seaters yeah and there was no big stage what you could set up but gradually gradually we grew into bigger state uh, stadiums with with genesis and, he, and when i stopped working for polygram we were doing 15 to 20,000 people in in a stadium wow yeah with genesis and 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 during the days that Peter Gabriel was still there, we were still struggling to getting people to the concerts. But eventually, when P- Peter Gabriel got out of the band, and Phil Collins took over, and then Chester Thompson came in as a second drummer, mm-hmm. Collins Collins really took the band off to like sky high. Mm. Yeah. And that was the big problem with uh, with uh, I, you know I've 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 been I've witnessed all of the fights between uh, um, the band Genesis at on this side on the left and Peter Gabriel on the right because <laughs> Peter wanted to be more theatrical right okay right. Uh, with with all sorts of costumes and all that and the <laughs> band was never into that. Yeah. They they wanted to go, go straight rock. Yeah, yeah. And and I worked with Genesis for a good part of eight years. Wow, that's a long time, especially so, in, in that time as well, yeah. and across that span of their career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, you know, a guy like uh, Tony Stratton Smith, the the owner of uh, of Charisma Records. You know, I, I could wake him up in the middle of the night. He always said, Dennis, you can do anything with me for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because Holland was the first country in in mainland Europe in which we broke Genesis. Mm. And then it went spread out all over Europe. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that's what I'm finding. It seems to be Holland seems to be that, that it seems to be the, the, the breaking point for a lot of bands in Europe. Exactly, exactly. So you finished with Roadrunner after about 12 months because it's, it's not quite your, your kind of rock. Yeah, and, and, and also I got, to, I got to know a guy called Billy Preston. Yeah. Right? And Billy <clears throat> had a problem with uh, his manager. Mm-hmm. His manager basically 
can't aim for hundreds of thousands of euro dollars. Uh, <clears throat> took a, a third mortgage on his ranch without him knowing. Right. Um, and uh, and Billy basically, I I flew Billy in for a TV show in in Holland. Okay. Uh, because uh, uh, I knew his management. Uh, his management was done by his sister in those days. She took over from this uh, Richard Duray, uh, whatever a guy called uh, was called, and um, and so I, uh, Ivo Nia, one of the TV. Uh, um, personalities in all with the talk show uh, was a good friend of mine and he said do you know where I can get a guy uh, where I can get Billy Preston I said yeah of course I know can you can you get him over for my show I said yeah I can no problem so I brought him in I flew him in and uh, then Billy on the way from the airport to the hotel uh, was talking to me he said what are you doing I mean how 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 do I come all of a sudden to Holland to do a show here and I've never heard about you? <laughs> I said, uh, that, that's not so important. I mean, what is important that you do the show, right? Mm. And then he says, why don't you look after my affairs here in Europe? Because I have a manager, I used to have a manager in, in the United States that have fucked me for left, right, and center. Right. For millions. And now my sister is taking it over. It was a sister called Rodina. So I said, okay, uh, we'll discuss it. You're here for a week, so we can still talk about it. And uh, and so at the end of the week, we agreed basically that I was going to take care of his business in Europe starting in Holland, in the Benelux. And um, and then Scandinavia, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Spain, Portugal. Okay. And um, so when I was working for Case, I thought I cannot, you know, I, I cannot do this without Case knowing. I, I need to tell Case. So, um, and Case basically knew uh, or felt already or, or had an inkling that I was on the way out, right, more okay. or less. And so Case said to me, uh, I, 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 I'm going to ask you a very honest question. Are you interested in um, staying here and working and giving 100% to Roadrunner or are you not completely 100% for Roadrunner. I said, actually, guys, to be very honest, I love the music, but I love I love bands like Tin Lizzy, Nazareth, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, and Rush and all that, but I'm not so crazy about uh, about um, the, the metal, metal stuff that you are going to get in, because I, I know that you are doing uh, negotiating deals for more going to the metal side. He says, well, in that case, maybe we should part ways then. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's also Case, huh? Well, yeah. Case. It seems like he, um, he detected it, didn't he? So. Yeah. And he's very realistic. And, and Case and I, I 
If I would say I have three friends, real friends in the recording industry, Case is one of them. And, that's awesome. And then, yeah, and that's um, Case is a, you know, I I I love him. That's it. Everyone I've spoken to who's worked with him, except for you, actually, everyone sort of looks up to him in the very in a kind of mentor capacity. You're the first person who's looked up to him as yeah. a friend, which is really it's really nice in in this whole. Uh, cavalcade of me talking to people who are associated with him. It's nice to have that angle and nice to have, you know, that perspective. Yeah. Chase is a genuine guy. He's a real genuine gentleman. Yeah. And, uh, and also, uh, um, he's a visionary guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also with the books, huh? I mean, <laughs> when I walked in to that that office of his uh, for the first time I thought this is typical case yeah <laughs> typical case this is the way he does things you know that's it and he, he goes out on it boom go <laughs> and he's very success, successful right, with that with that publishing company yeah yeah he's a uh, he's a very in, he's a guy that is he's very much interested in culture art uh, books uh, sometimes he he asks me about Indonesia's culture and all that stuff because I do a lot of writing about Indonesian culture for instance and uh, and he loves Indonesia mm-hmm. and every time when he's here in, in Jakarta used to be here in Jakarta we we would always, I would take him to the the most beautiful restaurants, you know, out in under the palm trees and all that sort of stuff. And he loves that. Does he play golf? No, he's not a golfer. <laughs> he's a runner. He's a runner. He is a road runner. <laughs> yeah, marathons, eh? marathons, and I always, I always admired him for that. Oh, and I know case, I know case, forty-seven, forty-eight years now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's a good guy. Any, Carry on. Yeah, I was going to say, are there any any roadrunner stories or case stories which I might have missed? Um. No, not really, not really. I think I think that um, that um, there's not many people that know Case well. Yeah. Um, um, not because I know him and I think I know him well, but I know Case for forty whatever, nearly fifty years, mm. and uh, and Case and I have always been, you know, I, I went to his birthday party and he comes to my birthday party or my wife's in those days and my girlfriends and all that. And and when I was recording uh, Stand Up Again, he was always there. He was always there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he always said, um, uh, let me know in time, okay, so I can plan my trip when I, when I was going into the studio again, you see. Mm. So that's, I mean, Case is a, is um is a guy that that reads a lot and and also when you see his house and the books that he has the the art that is on the wall um the 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 interior the way he he puts his interior together 
and uh, you've got a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful house in, in right in the forest in Hilversum. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this guy knows what life is all about. That's crazy, man. That's awesome. Yeah. This is this has been so, so illuminating, and it's so nice to have that kind of perspective, as opposed to yeah. case was a businessman. He did business, and this was the story. Now you know we've got a proper friend perspective, which is very interesting. I admire Case for who he is, but also for what he stands for. Mm. And 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 he's a visionary guy. You know, he when he. Uh, also, when he when he thinks it's nothing, he will say, "Ah, nah, it's nothing." <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. Anyway, anyway, yeah, I'll let you crack on with your evening. Sorry, I've taken up like two hours of your time, but it's been really, really fascinating. No worries, no worries, no worries. I I really enjoyed the talk with you, and then and also, well, it's now what one o'clock. Ah, that's okay. <laughs> Bedtime. <laughs>